Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So quick disclaimer for this week's two-part series. Uh, you still you know, Ben, there's two things that I love, a good parade and a good disclaimer. Right, right. Yes, uh, we we spent, we were supposed to record this earlier, but uh, we spent a few minutes. I, I was introducing you guys to the India-Pakistan border closing, which is epic, uh, but <laughs> has nothing to do It's like some serious you-got-served type action. I mean, it's these dudes just like bucking up against one another while doing the highest high kicks I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and it almost feels like a contact sport, but but they barely touch each other. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, Max had explained it as uh, ultimate peacocking, right? Yes. <laughs> so so uh, check that video out when you get a chance. After you listen to our episodes today, uh, Noel, Max, and I, I'm Ben, we're uh, really, really over the moon to finally get our newest Ridiculous show, ridiculous crime out to the world. These hosts, Zarin and Elizabeth, are amazing. And we recorded this podcast under extraordinary circumstances, didn't we, Noel? I mean, these days, what circumstances aren't extraordinary? You know, we do. We've been doing this COVID podcasting business for quite some time now, and it almost always goes completely right without a hitch, you might say. <laughs> this time it hitched. There were it hitches. Hitched. Yeah, there were some hitches. Let's see. I was on the road, you were recovering from illness, and we were lucky enough to interview Elizabeth and Zarin from Ridiculous Crime. Uh, they were based in the West Coast. They are based in the West Coast. We were spread across the country, fellow Ridiculous historians. Um, you're going to hear a couple of uh, a couple of weird mic things going on. Luckily, our super producer, Max Williams, was able to spin some straw into gold, so praise where it's due. Now, speaking of spend, Ben, I appreciate you trying to, you know, uh, lessen my responsibility by mentioning that I was recovering from illness. That had nothing to do with the fact that I just turned on the wrong microphone. But I do appreciate that. But thankfully, the Zoom was recording like uh, there's a fail safe. So that's what you're going to hear. So you're going to hear me talking directly into a mic, but it's going to be just a little more, uh, you know, zoomy than usual. And I think there's a cameo from like a barking dog at some point. But what are you going to do? The content's too good not to put out. So uh, here you go. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Radio. 
Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Who is that? That's the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Give him a hand. We also have a one and only super producer, Mr. Dave Kustan. Dave. Hanging with us today, they call me Ben Knoll. The Ridiculous Historians are asking, why? Why would we have two super producers on today's episode? Oh, but I sure got you excited, Ben. You seem absolutely riled today. I love it. The I'm drinking radiating uh, through the, fish through cheeks Zoom. iced coffee, which Zoom is preemptively editing. I'm glad that you added iced coffee at the end of that, because when I just heard I'm drinking fish cheeks, and I was like, what is that, and why, and are you okay? History will judge me, Noel. Mm-hmm. It always does. It always does. Uh, I'm good. Did you ask me how I was doing? It doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm a little calfed up myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling feeling end of day Friday vibes and excited to be here. Uh, end of day we, or end of days? End of Is it really? Come on. Potato, 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 mm-hmm. potato. Uh, but I am jazzed for a reason outside of the cafe. I'm excited to be joined today by some pretty amazing special guest you you sort of tipped our hand a little bit uh, with this who's this mystery super producer ah, why do we yes. need yet another super producer here in, ah, on the call yes. there must be a reason ben can you please tell us oh my gosh no uh, yeah people are asking why we have two one and only super producers uh are they one and, and only max though are, there's two of them. they're each their own okay. one and only okay. Okay. right okay. it'd be okay. weird if they were both named max right That'd for example weird. uh here is why uh max can we get can we get some prestigious sounding music? I want it like epic, cinematic, awards. Okay, your hands are telling me you got the vibe. Uh, that is because Noel and I are so excited for our guest today. We have talked about this show. We have alluded to it. We held off. We kept it a secret. And it's very difficult for people who are paid to talk to keep a secret. We can finally reveal it. The newest addition to the Ridiculous Universe, Ridiculous Crime. Crime, crime, crime. I, like, we have been working behind the scenes with these amazing folks. We cannot wait to welcome to the show Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett, the host of Ridiculous Crime. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, guys. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. We almost had to kick down doors to get here, but thank you. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we did have to do that was a little out of the ordinary for at least me and Ben. I mean, we're like way behind the times. We occasionally will do a clap uh, where we all sync up since we're in different locations. And Dave was like, okay, go to go to time.gov and we're going <laughs> to clap on the on the minute on the second. I'm like, wait, I don't understand. It's not enough just to count down. It's like, no, it's not because there's a delay and lag in the Zoom. So if you're actually looking at something that's like centralized, it's a much more accurate clap sync. I was today years old when I found this out. So uh, thank you guys for that. It is always our pleasure. So, really, the, the credit goes to Super Dave. So our super producer, <laughs> Dave Kust. So. I like Super Dave. Remember I Super like Dave? Super Wasn't Dave. that uh, the guy that played Marty Funkhauser who passed away? Bob uh, Einstein? Einstein, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. This is um, Albert Brooks's brother. If I remember correctly. Yeah, oh. I think is correct. Oh, I love him. R.I.P. Marty Funkhauser. And, you know, Bob Einstein, the actual human who played that yeah. character. But he was just <laughs> playing it as himself. So so, so here we are. Uh, our first things first, kind of order of operations here, uh, Elizabeth Zarin. Uh, we are here to learn a little bit more about ridiculous crime. And behind the scenes, 
the four of us were working on ideas and we thought one of the best ways to introduce the show was to uh, learn a little, like, you know, take it around the block, right? We're going to talk about some of the weirdest celebrity busts uh, as we're in terms of arrest, folks, Mm -hmm. get your, get your minds out of the gutter. Uh, So what, uh, what maybe our best, our best way to, uh, to set the scene here is to hear a little bit about how you all connected and what ridiculous crime is, which, uh, by the way, is out now as you hear this episode. Always be closing. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee's for closers. We're all drinking coffee, I think. At least me and Ben are. We're closers. Well, that's what we like about you guys. We came here because you're closers. And, you know, we recognize and respect the game. Appreciate uh, to basically, I guess, get into what is ridiculous crime, we decided, you know, we've talked with you guys about it, but to explain to the audience, it's, as we say, ar- around the ridiculous crime, uh, you know, corral. Headquarters. Headquarters, thank you. <laughs> it's a podcast that's basically focused on the absurd aspects of crime, the outrageous capers that we find in life. It, we like heists and we like cons, and we also don't want there to be murder. So we kind of like, no, no, kind of, we 100%, or not 100%, we'll say 99%. That's to allow for some wiggle room. Yeah, because occasionally a murder will sneak into a story we can't avoid it but other than that we almost never have stories that are about murder instead we love all the rest of the crimes because there are so many other crimes to focus on and they're usually actually really really fun and you know we get ridiculous we get into the parts that make them they kind of like if you imagine either tons of which way you want to look at it a microscope or a telescope looking at humanity we dive deep into it by focusing on the ridiculous Mm mm-hmm Elizabeth, could you give us a couple of your like favorites or even just just tease them if they're not even out yet? Oh, my goodness. Uh, what are you most excited about? We've got a huge about? stable ready to <laughs> unleash. Uh, I think we're coming right out um, of the gate with Guy Fieri. Oh, uh, yes, the stolen Lamborghini. Uh, a young man, a 16-year-old, stole Guy Fieri's yellow Lamborghini, and which is ridiculous in and of itself, but the well, circumstances surrounding how, it. How else was he going to get to Flavortown? You know? Well, you know, you're really crossing a lot of the lines when you steal the vehicle from the mayor of Flavortown. Right. You're never going to get the key to Flavortown no, after that one. Not. You're going to be banned from Flavortown for life. Right. Flavor it's, felony. Yeah. And you could go to Flavortown jail, which <laughs> I heard a flavorless is, life. Yeah. That's they deny you flavor at Flavortown jail. Everything's so, covered in donkey sauce. Which is no thing. seasoning. Yeah. yeah. We also, we've got some great episodes. Uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. Oh, yeah. Gets kidnapped. Mm. Uh, The World Cup was stolen in 1966. Always, yeah, another good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff on tap. In the uh, in in the trailer for Ridiculous Crime, now peek behind the curtain, folks. Uh, I've heard several of these episodes in advance, so I'm trying not to fanboy too much, but... uh, there's this beautiful moment in the trailer where you all are naming different things, right? And, <laughs> and it, at some point, I think it's you, Elizabeth, who says, oh, now we're just, it's like, just, we're just throwing out words. It's a word mm-hmm. salad. And Zara, and you're like, no, these are all, these are all actual shows. And, oh, yeah. uh, we're and gonna I, tell you about the UK cat shaver. That's not a false promise. Right. <laughs> so this is uh that got to be because even for me, I was I was thinking, 
Oh, wait. Yeah. No, wait. Nope. That is one. That's, yeah, they're getting into it. So uh, we are so fortunate. Uh, We're so fortunate to have you all over today for, check this out, Noel. We're doing it on purpose. A two-part episode. Mm-hmm. It's okay. our second intentional two-part episode of the season. Uh, I'm not sure what constitutes the season for the show. We kind of just do it forever until we perish. Uh, <laughs> Sisyphean. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, we just did an episode, uh, an intentional two-parter with the hosts of another great podcast called Toss Popcorn, um, where we talked about some kind of ridiculous Hollywood scandals. We're sort of continuing in that tradition today, maybe focusing more on the crimey-wimey angle, but uh, mm-hmm. scandal could definitely be kind of, you know, put under that umbrella. It's going to be crimey wimey and scandal wandle love it there God, it is. i love a good rhyme lots, a good nonsense there. silly rhyme for the um, fans and i think we we rolled some dice uh we played some craps ahead mm-hmm. of rolling um the actual audio we rolled dice and uh, determined i believe that uh Zaren, you're gonna you're gonna lead us off today yeah, well, I got a story one. I got a hot one for y'all. I hope y'all oh, ready because we were promised you were coming in hot. Yeah. Have I mean, you ever heard of a story that would involve Richard Nixon, three pounds of marijuana, and the person who is the drug smuggler is Richard Nixon? Ooh. Okay. You hit me. Holy you cow. hit me with it because uh, the only time I heard of this is Zarin. You had. You had said, hey, well, there's all, you know, Richard Dixon, right? And I was like, what? And then and you said, well, just hold on, just save it. So I'm I'm flying blind on this one. Uh, Richard Nixon, uh, trivia fact for all the history. Famously loved drugs, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say deep cut. At one point, he was uh, president of uh, one country or another. He mm-hmm. did do the president thing. Somewhere yeah, around funny. here, I believe. I think okay. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did this P, double peace sign. He really popularized that gesture. Mm-hmm. He was a no. big fan of peace, and he promoted it around the world, both with hand gestures and heavy ordnance. <laughs> right. We're going to bomb, bomb them into peace. Yeah. And so he also was the leader of that caper in Point Break. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is yeah. true. Some of was his later Reagan? work. No, there was, was a Reagan. Nixon and a Reagan, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Reagan, LBJ, Nixon, and Carter, I believe, are the four. Yeah. yeah the the criti- criticism being that their acting was a little plastic. Sorry, Max. I, I earned that groan cue. You're going to have to uh, leave. But, uh, well, too bad, Noel. <laughs> so, because I got to hear this story. So, uh, Zarin, just on the offset, most people would say that being affiliated with drug consumption of, like, or just being affiliated in general with any kind of illicit substance would sort of, Nix, not Nixon, but Nix one's chances at the presidency. Did this occur? Did this story happen before Tricky Dick like ascended to the halls of power? Oh, yeah. This was uh, when he was the vice president. So he actually was abusing and using his power then. Long before he became a president and got known for Watergate and his abuses of power, he was doing it as a vice president too. He was just, you know, like trying it out, JV level style. Then he got varsity level and broke the country. So that's kind of his approach. So as a vice president, this is like 1950s, obviously. So Eisenhower's the president. Tricky Dick is his VP. They don't really like each other, but he's like, you know, so he's sending Nixon out of the country often. And this is one of the times that Nixon is out of the country. So meanwhile, they're also, of course, fighting communism. So this big fight for communism is taking place on all sorts of battlefronts. It's not just that they're over there fighting in Korea. Also, they're sending, you know, goodwill ambassadors to do like a cultural soft power fight. So people like Louis Armstrong are also being sent out in a war against communism. So these two 
Oh, say powerhouses of mid-century of America, Louis Armstrong and Tricky Dick Nixon, they end up crossing paths. And what brings them together? Three pounds of marijuana. That brings a lot of people together. I'd bring me together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, together. So, I'm, I'm together just thinking about it. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So picture that you are in Idlewild, New York, and you're sitting there in this airport and you notice, whoa, is that? Louis Armstrong? You're like, and your person next to you is like, yeah, that's Louis Armstrong. And everyone's like really impressed that Louis Armstrong is there. Meanwhile, Louis Armstrong is, you know, just kind of breezing through on his like, you know, star power, if you will. They don't really think of it back then, but he is a jazz trumpeter that everybody knew. Everybody, like, He's also a beloved figure. That's why he's a goodwill ambassador. So he's goodwill ambassadoring around the airport. And meanwhile, he's got three pounds of marijuana in his luggage. Jazz cabbage. Yeah, pounds. you know, he's keeping it reefer style. <laughs> pounds, really? Three pounds, yeah. That's wild. And he's well, flying good for back into the arm. country with this. This is his like, you know, I got to get back to America. I don't know where he is that they have better par- marijuana that he's willing to risk it with three pounds. But apparently this stuff was some good gauge. And he's like, I need to get this back home to New Orleans. Uh, we've got a message from Dave saying, uh, I think it was Ghana it is, uh, hmm. uh, that Louis Armstrong was flying from Ghana. Also, also, I love that you point this out. Uh, Louis Armstrong is a, such a prominent figure at this time that, uh, despite the rampant racism, uh, especially in the U S uh, he is accorded some level of respect, right? Like mm-hmm. people, people who would ordinarily be virulent monsters in mm-hmm. society are like, oh, no, it's Louis, though. You know, yeah, everyone like, loves this Louis. Yeah. What a wonderful in, uh, world. Name the airport after him, the one he was in, in New Orleans? Is in New Orleans, yes, that is yeah. correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, really quickly, we, we actually did this as an episode years ago. I barely remember the details. This is like I'm of hearing the, it for the first time. Because you sure only smoke marijuana in three pound increments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's some stuff that you dug up that we didn't even touch on. So I just wanted to put that out there so you could hear a completely vastly different take on this if you want to go listen to one of our very early first episodes. Oh, skip it. No, no, no this no, is going to be the good fine. one. It's fine. It's an experiment. But what happens next? <laughs> but, I, I yeah. am literally on the edge of my seat because I do not remember. So winter Richard Nixon. So we're standing in this airport. And as Ben pointed out, Louis is being afforded a certain level of respect. And this is not typical for most black Americans at this time. He's flying back into the country. The reason why he's bringing back this three pounds in his luggage is he's gotten away with it. The last two times he's flown into the country. He is a goodwill ambassador. Essentially, he is an ambassador of America. So he doesn't Uh, have to go through customs. Nobody searches his luggage. He's thinking, I'm good to go. I'm going to bring three pounds in. He does this. Gets back this time, they're like, uh, excuse me, you have to go to the customs. And they direct him into the line for customs. He's like starting to sweat because he's now a goodwill yeah. ambassador who's about to really embarrass the country. Because if he's coming back three pounds, it'll make the whole program look bad. It's like, what are these goodwill ambassadors doing out there? What kind of goodwill are they spreading? So he's like, you know, <laughs> sitting there in the line, sweating in like, what did they say? Uh, well, sex worker in church. What's this expression? <laughs> he's sitting there sweating hard, right? And while he's doing this, all of a sudden, these doors open in the airport and in swans into the airport, Richard Nixon with a whole entourage of press who are following him for his travels abroad. Now, Nixon is looking, he's eyeballing the White House and he knows if he can get a good photo with Louis Armstrong, this will be great for his like, you know, wire press coverage. They'll be like, oh, look, he's like, you know, Louis Armstrong likes him, you know, take him, take notice, Democrats. But, you know, instead... He's like, okay, Tricky Dick Nixon's going to go over here and uh, get this shot. So he goes, hey, Louie, Louie. And he calls over to Satchmo. And Satchmo, meanwhile, is sitting there worried he's about to get busted with three pounds of pot. And he's like, 
oh, how you doing, uh, pops? Right. And so Nixon's like, oh, Sasha, what, what are you doing here? Right. And oh now Louis God. Armstrong is like, you know, with his distinctive gravelly voice. Well, pops, you see, I just came back from Goodwill Ambassador Tour of Asia. And they told me I had to stand in this line for customs. And Nixon, right? Nixon's just totally shocked by this. So he he bends down. He grabs Louis's luggage. And he goes, ambassadors don't have to go through customs. And the vice president of the United States will gladly carry your bags for you. <laughs> so Nixon then pulls this three pounds of marijuana right into America and basically drug mules Louis's pot in safely for him. And Louis's like, oh, man, brother, thank you so much. And so <laughs> now later on, somebody finds out about the, this because, you know, these, some ask. of these White House people, They'll go down and they'll listen to jazz. They'll go down to Harlem. So one of them hears from this jazz cat that, oh, man, Louie got it. He got his drugs in thanks to your boss. And they goes, what are you talking about? And then he's like, well, yeah, don't you know? So he tells him the story. This aide goes back and he tells Nixon, man, uh, this, there's this story floating what around. Narc. You are drug muling for Louis Armstrong. And he's like, well, Louis smokes uh, marijuana. So <laughs> Nixon was just shocked by that and was just blown away. But the story never really gets out. It stays at the level of rumor and myth. And everybody can kind of be like, you know, they have that plausible deniability that presidents love or vice presidents who want to be president definitely love. So mm -hmm. then he gets, you know, he gets back to like telling people that his dog is a cover for his slush fund. So it, everything goes back to normal. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental 
part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What? Okay. (laughs) You know that checkers speech, right? With the whole like, and we want to keep the dog, right? (laughs) <laughs> right, right. I love the. Uh, uh, oh, okay. I've I have so many questions, but there's <laughs> like we can't. Okay, so so f- first, the plausible di- deniability is crazy, right? Like former President uh, George W. Bush uh, had a uh, a certain talent, a nose, you could say, for cocaine. Mm-hmm. It was long rumored, <laughs> and he uh, he also never really had to face consequences of this, but. Is it not, at the very least, hypocritical, if not profoundly ironic, that Nixon was, would go on to be such a proponent of the war on drugs during his presidency, right? Like, did he like get burned so bad through his accidental drug muling that he was like, never again. <laughs> no longer trust jazz musicians. The jazz, the, the left-hand cigarettes. Also killing it with the voices, Aaron. I guess. Do you remember, Ben? We, we had a period yeah. where we did a Nixon off. We, we were challenged to do to Nixon off against each other. Well, I wanted us to do an episode where we both we were going to do a whole Nixon, Nixon episode. Voices, but I just yeah. think it would be a lot. I think you nixed it. You just Nixon. too much Nixon. Eight parts. I don't want to get too, too heavy but if we're talking about aides that are like squealing mm-hmm. on stuff that happened within the Nixon administration, uh, you guys are probably aware that one of his top aides, uh, in fact, he was the domestic policy chief of the Nixon administration, uh, made it very clear that the Nixon campaign um, knew very full well that the war on drugs was just an excuse to target black yeah. people and hippies. Oh, are you talking about Lee Atwater? Yeah, that's right. yeah. Lee Atwater had a speech where he basically talks about the Southern Ehrlichman. Oh, Ehrlichman, Ehrlichman. Yeah, well, he's basically just you know, yeah, Lee Atwater in better suit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> but I just you know, I mean, it's so obvious, uh, kind of. I think to anybody looking back, but like he set us some stuff in motion that is still barreling through, you know, uh, American culture to this day. I think it's slowed down a little bit and we kind of see it for what it is. But the fact that marijuana prohibition still exists in any form, uh, I think, is a testament to how powerful these types of moves can be. And they just stretch through like generations, you know. You know, I'm going to I'm going to describe now going forward. I'm going to describe Nixon as a former drug mule. 
Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, hard. It's accurate, right? Zarin, we can it's say 100% that. It's right? 100% accurate. <laughs> and there's more to this story, by the way, because there's a, it's not like there's no real connection, but it is a tenuous connection at best. And if somebody wanted to, they could say that a couple of weeks later, after this attempt, or I guess not attempt, successful attempt to get him to mule drugs into America, Louis Armstrong's uh, wife gets arrested in Hawaii. There's a raid on their hotel room. They're sitting in their hotel room in Waikiki. Louis Armstrong bounces out of the hotel room. She's left alone with like their stash of pot. And all of a sudden, the Waikiki police come kicking in the door and they arrest his wife, blame her for having the marijuana. It's a total attempt to embarrass him. She has to stay in jail in Waikiki until they give her $200. Now, Satchmo, when he like, you know, he bails out his wife, he's he doesn't think they're like Nixon did this to me. I'm not suggesting that. But what he does is he realizes that he can't have this fear hanging over him, that he should be able to like blow all the reefer and smoke all the gauge he wants. And he asks his lawyer to give him basically a get out of jail free card. And I assume the person he's writing this letter to is Richard Nixon. So do you want to hear his approach and his uh, appeal to his lawyer because he grounds his argument in Jesus wants me to smoke this marijuana. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll go to church with this one. Yes, please. Okay. So I'm going to give you my last of my Louis. This may kill my voice, but here we go. <laughs> Mr. Glazer, you must see to it that I have special permission to smoke all the reefers that I want to. Oh, I will just have to put this horn down. That's all. I can gladly vouch for a nice fat stick of gauge, which relaxes my nerves if I have any. I can't afford to be tense, fearing that any minute I'm going to be arrested, brought to jail for a silly little minor thing like marijuana. I just won't carry on with such fear over nothing, and I don't intend to ever stop smoking it. Not as long as it grows. And there is no one on earth, on this earth, that can ever stop it all from growing. No one but Jesus. And he wouldn't dare because he feels the same way that I do about it. Amen. Nothing but medicine. I got to say, I mean, so many other jazz musicians fell victim to heroin addiction. Right? Uh, That was my thought. I would much prefer... The, the the sticks of gauge to you know syringes of smack <laughs> <laughs> yes we want sticks of gauge instead of syringes of smack put this on the poster yeah can we do this yeah we could do this yeah we we surely i i mean now it's not even a matter of budget this is like ethically the right thing to do yeah mm-hmm, uh, exactly. i think we can agree uh this this is an amazing story and also uh louis armstrong has such First off, I, I get that there's an angle to that letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is he writing that to again? What I don't disagree. His lawyer, right? Yeah, does he? I wrote to his lawyer and he said, You got to get me a get out of jail free card with this pot. I can't be having this hanging over my head or I will put down my horn and that will affect your wallet. Right. <laughs> Which I want is Louis to put down his horn. I mean, talk about using, using privilege for uh, a positive, you know? Right. Um, I, I think that's like that really is. Profound and also to everybody's point, yeah, I don't like if anything, it, it's been uh, ridiculous in the bad way uh, for uh, drug laws concerning marijuana to affect people the way they have. Uh, and there's something in that letter that's really, really cool. There's not, there's never the explicit line, 
you tell Richard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's never like, tell Richard I know that he knows. Uh, but turns, I don't out, know. turns out Nixon was kind of a dick. <laughs> At the very least, tricky. Spoiler alert, Nixon, kind of a dick. Spoiler, for everybody who's only learning about the presidents in chronological order, if you're still like, <laughs> if you're still like on Pierce, it gets weirder. <laughs> Ready. Got some surprises uh, coming. <laughs> got some surprises coming. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, no spoilers. Have you guys ever heard the stories about like Nixon? He has a lot of bizarre stories with celebrities. Like he gives uh, Elvis a special badge as a drug investigator. You know, right? Well, and he, Elvis was out of his gourd. Yeah, it's a photo op. Exactly. Yeah, his eyes are pinwheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one he takes where he's he basically just straight up Nixon abuses his power. And this one is while he's president, he goes and shows Jackie Gleason some aliens. Oh, oh cool. Hey. You've heard about this? <laughs> no. I haven't, but I'm glad someone got to see them. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Gleason apparently loved aliens and he had a house that was built in the shape of a UFO. And he's like, you know, at this point on his like fourth wife and is like, you know, down the downside of his career. So he's like, not like bumming, but he's basically just going around playing golf in Florida. That's his life. And he goes home, takes a nap, does again the next day. Nixon is his friend. Nixon is down there for like a golf tournament. He goes and he's talking to Jackie at the Jackie Gleason golf tournament down in Florida. And they're, you know, kicking it around for a while. And Jackie's like, oh, I just, one thing I'd like to see in this life before I die is proof that there are aliens. And Nixon's like, hmm, you know, Jackie, I may have a little something for you, right? And so later that afternoon, Jackie goes home to take his normal, like, you know, two, two, two cocktail nap. And uh, when he's like, you know, kind of roused out of his sleep by the, this surprise, there standing in the doorway to his study is Dick Nixon. And he's ditched his Secret Service and has shown up in his own private car. And he goes, Jackie, I, I want to show you something. So then the two of them drive over to an Air Force base. And I believe it's in Homestead, Florida. They drive through, They actually, they drive up to the gate. And this like, you know, young kid is sitting there and he's like, looking at these clearly civilian car coming up or what looks to be a civilian car. And then he sees that it's the president driving and he's like salutes him, right? Cause he's still a soldier. So then they get onto the base and then Nixon is just leading Jackie Gleason around this base and they take him into these bunkers. And then they go downstairs into this basement and he, basically shows him this uh, glass case that Jackie Gleason describes looking kind of like a, like a Coke dispenser, or just like, you know, like a Coke bottle. Like uh, a vending machine. A vending machine. Thank you. Oh, and wow. he was like, yeah, inside this vending machine, you know, this glass front and uh, they've got these, what looks like mangled children, but they're aliens. And he's just, and, and he's he, all E4. And he's like, I'll take that <laughs> one. Yeah, exactly. And Nixon's <laughs> like, what, what, what do you think, Jackie? And Jackie Gleason's just, is, is, is this what I think it is? And, and Nixon's like, oh, you bet. But this is a national security. You can't tell anyone. And uh, Jackie's like, uh, uh, you've given me the only thing I've ever wanted. What, you know, what, what a great friend you are. And he's like, okay, well, we got to go. And so then they go and he takes him back to his house and he just ditches him at his house. And Jackie Gleason is left there to try to like basically put back together his mind on the fact that everything he's ever thought is and wanted to believe and that has been shown to him. And he doesn't know how to deal with the truth. He spends the next two weeks on a bender trying to like forget what he just saw. He broke his brain. The poor yeah, guy. Exactly. Oh, it's like the president gift. <laughs> this, I mean, this is an amazing, I know that like Gleason seems like more of a boozer than, yeah, yeah. than well, that like a calls, That calls to question, right? Did this actually happen? Or was he <laughs> just having a nap? Totally yeah. hallucinating that he's got wet brain at this point. And he's just, first, mm. how terrifying is that? 
to wake from a nap and Richard Nixon is in the doorway, <laughs> sort of backlit like an alien. Body. Was that Nixon or was that an alien? Yeah. Did he have a near death experience and just dreamed it was Nixon? Who's to right. say? Uh, uh, well, gosh, you know what? I vote us. We're the ones to say <laughs> arbitrarily. <laughs> so uh, they, I, it does. It does strike me though of having all the elements of uh, modern folklore, right? And then for, first, just word to the wise, uh, uh, f- fellow fellow listeners, if you ever wake up and a president of anything, any country, is at your front door without security. Run, <laughs> get out. First of all, I think that part's pretty sus of the story because it's like, you can't just shake your detail. They, what are they doing? He did. There's rumors uh, that Nixon, this was like his thing is that, that he used to thing. try because it was, he'd, it was, he'd been slip. vice president. So he, I guess he'd figured uh, out routines of like how to be able to get away. And then apparently Kennedy used his routes to get out of the White House from when he was VP. So there's like all these rumors of like, if you wanted to go see your, you know, um, side action, then you had to get out of the White House. They weren't doing the, I'll bring it in back then. Oh, really Kennedy had a methamphetamine-fueled bender at a hotel where he ran did. through the halls. I know you did. But yeah. <laughs> you found that. Was this from his Dr. Feelgood days? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was... I'd yeah. never heard that. We did an episode on it for stuff they don't want you to know um, oh, yeah. and dug up that story, and it is just the most bonkers thing I'd ever heard. I can't believe... I mean, at the time, um, there just wasn't as much reportability for that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. There wasn't, like, someone with a camera phone around every corner. That could never happen today. Uh, and neither could any of these fun Nixon stories because there's no way to confirm or deny them, really. Exactly. You know? And they also yeah. know that the press corps back then, they would be kind of like on the side of the people in power. It's not to like Gary Hart that they decide, you know what, we can make more headlines and make careers by screwing these guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or just holding them accountable. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. That too. Yeah. <laughs> so we would like that part. <laughs> yeah, that that would that would be a Halcyon era, right? So this. This, speaking of segues, uh, goes into the importance of rumors because, you know, for a long time, the reign of Nixon was based on this idea, this plausible deniability, Mm -hmm. this sort of performative stuff when really there were much more like real politic and messed up motivations for his calculus behind the scenes. Uh, But rumors can uh, be dangerous. Rumors can. bring even more uh, powerful consequences than the courts of the legal system, right? The court of public opinion can end careers. And this brings us to our second, uh, our second exploration for today uh, for part one of our two part episode, a weird celebrity arrest. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. 
You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This one is not as fun. Uh, we are going to, I, I'm thinking of the ridiculous crime voice here. Uh, we're not going to fall into any of the like, like the vicarious, unnecessarily gory stuff. But we are going to talk about a fellow named Roscoe Conkling Arbuckle. Street name, Fatty. Mm, uh, by, oh, yeah. Another story about a fatty. <laughs> by his consent. Uh, that was his nickname that he went with. That was like, that was part of what his career was based on. And... Mr. Arbuckle had quite a career, born in 1887. Uh, you probably won't see a lot of his films, you know, on TBS or Netflix, or what have you today. But in his day, he was like the silent film comic, the actor. You would mention him along with the uh, Chaplins. He was a mentor of Charlie Chaplin, uh, another uh, famously funny, famously horrible person. That guy sucked. <laughs> Yeah, he's not he's not winning good boy awards, that's for sure. Uh he's no he, Harold Lloyd. <laughs> he's no, 
<laughs> or Harold Ramis for that. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't uh, hold a candle to Buster Keaton. <laughs> who could? He so actually did the one that had like the barn door fall. Yes. The barn yeah. yeah, the bar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that bit. Yeah. I think it's amazing. So it could have killed him. I know, yeah. man. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buster Keaton was actually discovered by Fatty Arbuckle. Like oh, this wow. guy, this guy was a kingmaker in addition to, you know, being kind of a like Robert Downey Jr. Avengers era kind of level of fame, right? Mm-hmm. People, people just knew who he was. And one thing that's strange about the deification of celebrity is that it often results in the public wanting to see someone that they have held in high regard laid low, right? Uh, facts be damned, there's something. Um, there's a driving urge about that, right? Especially in secular societies where worship of celebrities replaces the worship of, you know, uh, traditional deities. So, sure. Yeah, sorry. Uh, pardon my TED talk here. But uh, we here's what happens. Uh, Arbuckle was set for a long and prestigious uh, and, and quite successful career until there was a tragic death a scandal that is sometimes referred to as the first American celebrity scandal. I don't think that's true. I think it really depends on how we're defining celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So if he's just like a Hollywood celebrity, then maybe you could say that, but sometimes that's just kind of a, a, a nice headline to grab people. Here's what happens. It's September 5th, 1921. Roscoe, is just having the day, the worst day. He has literally just gotten second degree burns on his keister. Uh, his cars broke down. You know, sometimes you get you get a vibe during the early part of your day and you think <laughs> this one's a wash. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. So that's 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 where uh, our our boy Arbuckle is. And he's got a really busy film schedule. He's a busy dude because he's so successful. He's luminary in American cinema. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to just take some time and kick back. So he gets his friends, a guy named Lowell Sherman and a guy named Fred Fishback. Weird name, but I like the alliteration. And they go to the San Francisco hotel and they buy out several rooms and they, and they have one, like, Two guys are split in one room. One guy's got a room to himself. And then the third room is like, this is the party carousing room. And they invite a bunch of people to that party room to, well, you know, carouse and party. Well, we have to introduce two people here. Uh, one person is Bambina Maud Delmont. And another. The names is- they had back then. I know, I know, man. I I feel like I got ripped off. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, Bambina Maud Delmont. Remember the name? Italian hand when you say that name. Doesn't that mean baby of the mountain? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Nailed it. Come to me, baby. Incredible. (laughs) Just abandoned there on the mountaintop to be raised by wolves. That's a you know. Some would say that's not a bad comparison to a lot of situations in Hollywood. Unfortunately, (laughs) right, Ben. Well, uh, anyway, so the second character we have to meet is uh, Delmont's companion, who is a mid twenty year old. Uh, aspiring actor named Virginia Rapp. And Virginia Rapp is partying with these folks and things go wrong. She ends, here's what we know. I'll tell you what uh, is reported and then 
we'll tell you what actually happens, folks. So Virginia Rapp is taken to the hospital several days after this party occurs. And in the hospital, she dies. Uh, she dies specifically from peritonitis, which was caused by a ruptured bladder. This is a medical condition that can occur to many people, especially if you have some chronic, uh, some chronic problems in that, in that part of the body. The press then is searching for, this is the age of so-called yellow journalism, right? So they're trying to figure out what happened to this person who was hanging out with one of the most famous people at the time, right? It doesn't look good. Law and order. Sorry, I can't. No, no, no. We got to do it. Yeah, I think if we do it acapella, we don't get sued. That's right. Max checked us on that. So so this is tragic. Someone has died, you know? They've died at a very young age in a very unpleasant way, and they have died under what seem to be mysterious circumstances, people need answers. So law enforcement goes to Bambina Maud Delmont and Delmont says that Arbuckle has taken this person's life after assaulting her. And the police say, the police blame it on, I kid you not, Arbuckle's weight. They blame the ultimate death of this person on this guy's what they see is his overweight body. And he ends up going to trial, not once, not twice, but three times because the facts don't add up. Why does he go to trial so many times? I guess you could say he goes to trial four times. First in the court of public opinion. Second, yeah, legally. Third and fourth legally. Uh, And each one is a, a huge media event Part of this is powered by William Randolph Hearst. You know him. You know him. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, uh, uh, he is, you know, the the magnate upon whom things like Citizen Kane are based. Mm-hmm. He's he's chasing profits over people most of his life. Uh, he yellow journalism, right? That whole yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he pretty much spearheads and makes that like so profitable. And the problem is, I always think of Orson Welles whenever I hear his name, which seems so unfortunate to Orson Welles. It's just not fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, Orson Welles wasn't exactly Mr. Nice Guy. Either. Oh no, I'm not he saying was, that, but he was brilliant. You know. And we have to we have to point out too that Zarin, you you are more familiar than many people with the history of journalism and with mm-hmm. the history of, of Hearst, uh, because you are a writer for Mel Magazine. Correct. I, correct. I, I am a journalist, at least last they told me. <laughs> uh, but, but so I'm going to lean on some of, of your expertise here because Hearst is thinking of the report, again, of a real person whose life was tragically cut short, he's thinking of it in terms of like, not, uh, it's terrible that someone in their 20s died so young. He's thinking, this is, okay, this is a way to sell papers. Oh yeah, I can sell papers is his immediate thought. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so there's no, we don't even have to caveat that. That's just- No, no, I think it's pretty clear. I think history will also bear out this truth. I think everybody understands that. As a businessman, he would also say this. I, don't, I think he would be mad if you said otherwise. Wow. Well, yeah, it's the same reason that Trump thinks he's doing the right thing by like not paying taxes and is totally yeah, exactly. fine with coming out and saying. Well, exactly. media wise, it leads to what we have now. If it bleeds, it leads. 
Yeah, yeah. that's true too. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're seeing spot on. Oh God, we're seeing. Well, and quite frankly, if the public wasn't hungry for it, they wouldn't do it. Yeah, if it didn't sell. So if people were disgusted by it and thought it was. Yeah. yeah, they're buying the papers. Well, and that's, that's another that great matters. justification you can say out loud. What? They're giving, giving the people what they want. You know what? Right. Mm-hmm. But it's true. Yeah. No, so but, everybody's complicit in that sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I mean, these are these are excellent points. And it should be somewhat frightening by how, like, how directly they apply to 2022. For anybody listening to this far in the future, we're recording in February of 2022. We hope that things are going well in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Try to keep it positive, you know, put out some vibes. So this is what happens with, this is what happens with Arbuckle. So Hearst is pouring high octane gas onto this bonfire Uh, morality groups of the time are responding. They're saying, you know, this is the right thing to do. We need to hold these Hollywood elites who are depraved by inherently by nature of their profession. We need to hold them accountable and we need to do the right thing, which is to murder the heck out of this guy. You know what I mean? Why even bother with a trial? This is what everybody is talking about around their water coolers, their uh, their jazz clubs, right? No, is that where they are? okay. We're when just they're waiting for to get into the speakeasy. They're like, "Have you heard about what's going on with Roscoe Arbuckle?" <laughs> yeah, okay, like, fatty. Yeah, exactly. Someone says, "Oh, fatty that bastard." Yeah, the what happens there is that we see something similar to like the armchair sleuthing of social media or Reddit today. There were there were a lot of folks who were like, "Well, you know." I've read several papers, you know, <laughs> and I've read most of the articles on this guy, and I'm pretty sure I got it. But the problem was there were a lot of like the primary, the primary source for this story. Um, Arbuckle is initially tried for manslaughter. the The primary source of this story is Bambina Delmont, Mont Delmont, and her story is kind of fluid. You know what I mean? There's a bit there's a bit of a freestyle aspect to it. Sometimes when she's talking to law enforcement, she is a close friend of Arbuckle's and has been for years. Other times she only knows him uh for for uh, through a couple of like Hollywood party meetings, you know? She doesn't really know his full name, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but importantly, she also had some priors related to extortion and blackmail and was known, and this is again, just reporting at the time, was known to be involved in, uh, involved in sex work in an illicit way. So she would, she would be contacted to take people to parties like this. And then later perhaps should, should it seem advantageous to do so, she would uh, extort these people. And this was, this was proven through those existing prior convictions 
Now, is she working with like tabloid photographers to like run like Hollywood stings? Is that what she is? Like, is she like a, a, a con, not a con artist, but somebody who's basically going to run like a, an extortion like scam a, on these like people? A honey like trap saying, or honeypot. A, a honeypot trap. Is that, but is she working with like other, like the, the lesser journalists, not of the Hearst quality, but those like uh, Look Magazine, not Look Magazine, but like whatever, the Keyhole mm-hmm. Magazine and the ones where like much more tabloidy? Now that's an excellent question, Zirin. I I don't have I don't have that. I wouldn't be necessarily beflummoxed. Bef- I don't know if that's a good word for this. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily be astonished were that the case because this was like a this was a modus operandi. So if it were profitable, maybe to sell those photographs, then I could absolutely see that occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, I'm not aware of how far along still photography was at that time. Uh, but I think that technology would maybe make a difference. Oh, definitely. But- yeah. You can find like from like Hollywood Babylon, they have the book Hollywood Babylon has a bunch of those old um, scandals and the photo- photography isn't great, but it's no different than the news photography. You know, you'll, you can get photographs from the 19th century. So they have the ones of like, they're just a little bit more grainy than we're obviously used to, but mm. it doesn't take much to be like that person's naked. That person's on top of them. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so in that case, uh, I would, I would need to check this, but I would not be surprised uh, were Delmont involved in this. There is another piece of evidence I'd like to produce that uh, doesn't it's make it. <laughs> it's, it is. Uh, thank you, your honor. Uh, it is uh a series of telegrams, two telegrams on record that she sent to one to an attorney in San Diego, one to an attorney in Los Angeles being telegrams. We're going to go with a transatlantic voice. We have Roscoe Arbuckle in a hole here. She has to make some money out of him. Stop. That's I will the, not. <laughs> I added the stop just because I wasn't, I wasn't there when people did telegrams. I, I assume that's silly thing to have to say. Them. Isn't the implication there that these are like new sentences? I just don't understand why that was necessary. It was, I think it, it was, was, was basically period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's the beep, 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 beep. You need to have that. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess that's it's how, true. I guess it's true. It's probably helpful for the uh, people that are translating it on the fly. You know? mm-hmm. so. so she sent these telegrams two attorneys saying not, you know, we will find justice for this person, not someone committed heinous acts against my friend. But uh, instead we have this, we have this wealthy guy, you know what I mean? In the corner, let's make some, let's make some cash. Let's make some scratch. Uh, The hospital that also treated, treated rap found that there were no marks of violence on her body no signs that she had been attacked. The stories quickly fell apart, but this was such a scandal. Again, this is like when people were talking about this, the way they talked about television shows, the way people talked about Lost or Breaking Bad, you know, or Game of Thrones pre-season eight. (laughs) And uh, the, the, um, the thing was, these are people's real lives. You know, a, a person, an innocent person is dead, but that instead becomes sort of a character in what may as well be a serialized story as far as Hearst is concerned, because it continually, predictably guarantees profits. Uh, this, and, you know, Arbuckle's life is getting ruined. Uh, his His first trial... Uh, I should say he turns himself in and he's in jail for uh, three weeks. There's a mugshot about him 
there's a mugshot of him that makes a way its way about the news. Uh, he doesn't make public remarks. His lawyers insist he's innocent, and they say, "Hey, folks, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's figure out what's actually happening." But they're saying, "No, no, 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 no. He did it." I've read several articles, you see, in the <laughs> papers, and when he gets charged with manslaughter, ultimately the evidence that like even when the telegrams come out uh the prosecutors take him to trial the newspapers never run arbuckle's side of the story which is that he was never even alone with this person much less uh much less hostile toward them his reputation is ruined even though the folks who mentioned earlier charlie chaplin mm -hmm. great actor terrible person uh buster keaton uh, legend. I don't know anything bad about him yet. Uh, they came out and they were like, no, this is a good dude. Roscoe is not the type of guy to do this. We've known him for a long, long time. And the prosecutor even gets a, uh, even fights back against the doctor who takes rap to the hospital from the hotel. And she says that Arbuckle did not try to assault her or have any, you know, make some sort of act of violence against her. And the prosecutor in court gets that dismissed as hearsay. I don't know how, because Wait, the Rapp doctor says this or the doctor says Rapp, the doctor says that rap told like her a dying declaration, you know, like, yeah, she's in the hospital for several days before she mm -hmm. expires, but mm -hmm. uh, she is, you know, um, she is maybe intoxicated, but she's obviously not well. Um, mm -hmm. And, the doctor on the scene says, I asked her, did you know somebody hurt you or harmed you yeah. in some way? And she's like, no, no, no. And he's like, did apparently in the hotel, as the doctor relates uh, later in, in trial, apparently he asked her specifically about Arbuckle. And she's like, no, 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 nothing happened. Like hmm. she said, he did not try to assault her. The prosecutor gets this point dismissed. Arbuckle goes to the stand in his own defense, which people don't usually do. Yeah. Yeah. The jurors vote for his acquittal. Prosecution comes back, tries him a second time. Jury is deadlocked. Third trial, March of 1922. Arbuckle. Oh, Arbuckle also, by the way, throughout the entire uh, Hearst uh, newspaper thing, throughout mm -hmm. the entirety of the first two trials, his his defense team is going to him in private and they're saying, hey, we found some dirt about rap. We found some dirt about this, uh, this person who died. And Arbuckle said, no, that's messed up. Like, you can't. I respect can't him on that. that. Yeah. He was like, she's dead. Why would you, why would you drag her name through the mud like that? Yeah, why would you assassinate her character after she's been killed? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I respect it as well. But by the third trial, he said, okay, you can call those character witnesses. And the history is a little divided on what happened, like why he did this. Was he increasingly desperate? Was he increasingly broke? I mean, he spent $700,000 on, on this defense. And though I think that makes it time for an inflation calculator, yeah? And a beep, 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 so if we, the max boob, the famous max boob. So if we take an inflation calculation of this and we say seven hundred thousand dollars in nineteen twenty-two, uh, what would that be 
Seven hundred thousand dollars in nineteen twenty-two. Can we all take guesses? Yes, let's all guess. All right, Elizabeth, would you like to guess? Yeah. Uh, well, no, someone else go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, seven hundred thousand back then. I'll go with three point three million. All right, we've got three point three million on the board. I'll go with four point two. We've got four point two million on the board, Mister Noel Brown. Four point three. <laughs> are we are we on what's price the, is right price is right, the price is right move we're, we're like discussing a a dinette set yeah. bob barker <laughs> approves god darn it he went with oh my gosh um max dave would you care to place a bet one dollar <laughs> dave you're gonna do it to me again super dave all right and i'll go 18.9 Million. Oh, dang. Oh, wow. wow. Okay, well, we've got a spread. I, of course, am recused. Uh, if we could get a drum roll. $700,000 in 1922 is worth, in 2022, $11,616,750. Wow, Maximus nice job, Max. Wow. Well mm-hmm. done, dude. Respect Max. to the super producers. Yes, respect to the super producers. Uh, also, you get nothing. <laughs> you Wait. win the glorious no prize. No, comic book reference. I'm in. Yes, the no prize. Uh, so you win the no prize, Max. Uh, but, you know, give yourself a sound cue, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that you have to find and edit it. You have to work for your prize. Here's a homework assignment for your prize. Punishing the honors students. Yes. So, so maybe that, maybe that enormous expenditure made him increasingly desperate, right? Anyhow, the, uh, these people take the stand, these character witnesses, and we're not going to spend time um, victim blaming, right? I don't think we should, no, uh, but they, not. Yeah, they take the they take the stand, and they also, by the way, call into question some of the things that Delmont says. This results in 1922, April the 12th, the jury not only acquitting Arbuckle after three goes around the courtroom, uh, but they just deliberated for about five minutes, and I found a write-up of this in Smithsonian Magazine, a great article by Gilbert King, which relates a quotation I had not found before, uh, where the jury spent four of those five minutes writing an apology to Arbuckle. They didn't even call him fatty anymore. It starts with, uh, acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel that a great injustice has been done to him. And then they go on and like, um, they they go on and explicitly sort of point by point talk about how they couldn't find anything and this this story doesn't make sense. So he is out. However, the court of public opinion is still in session. Arbuckle, as a result of this uh, of, of this scandal, is donezo. Uh, he is banned from appearing on screen. He even changes his name. To William B. Goodrich, or uh, 
Yeah. He's going to be good and rich. Like, he's <laughs> exactly. willing to do this. Yeah, exactly. He put it on his vision board and he's going to manifest this. It's just a whole turnaround, clean slating it. Elizabeth is painful, no, right? It's like a little on the nose. Yeah. Right? That's just me. <laughs> you know? uh, and so if we, if we fast forward, we see he's working behind the scenes. He still has friends in Hollywood, uh, but his star has his star has shot to the ground, you could say. And in June of 1933, he dies uh, of a heart attack in a hotel room. He's 46. Legend has it that it was the same day he had signed a deal for his comeback feature film. And, you know, we can't conclusively prove that, but what we can conclude from this story is that the guy himself was falsely accused of of a crime he didn't commit. And in this case, a crime that didn't occur. Um, I don't know, you know, we can keep it in, but I don't know if you guys can hear the sirens in the background from where I'm podcasting. Okay, good. Good, uh, because I I was wondering uh, I, I was wondering if that was just like a segue from the outside world, <laughs> worst upon us. But I, I do have to ask, um, I, I do have to ask what what this story, in, in you all's opinion, can tell us. Uh, I think it can tell us some some things that could be misleading uh, about the modern day. You know, like the idea of a court of a public opinion. But honestly, this story to me seems like it p- could be misused in the modern day. You know, Completely. like that's to me, that makes it it makes it something worth remembering, but something worth being aware of, because we have seen what about ism. We've seen victim blaming. We've seen people say like, well, you know, sometimes people make stuff up. And I want to draw a clear distinction. The victim of this, the person who died, rap was not involved in any kind of thing. She she became, like Arbuckle, a character to people instead of a real person, a mm-hmm. symbol of some sort, you know? And I just, I, I, I would love to hear you all's thoughts on, on this story. Whenever you turn a person into a signifier or a symbol or something that is not rooted in their humanity and you use them for your own purposes, we see this a lot in the crimes we talk about. It's usually the con men, the extortionists, the the scammers, they will be able to read a person and it's like see what they want. But they often see a person better than the public sees these people. Like In a sense, they are able to see their humanity and see their emotions and appeal to them and go to their confidence. So these criminals are often more sensitive to their fellow humans than the crowds and their response as a mob and the desire to see justice be done according to your dictates and not actually as a process. We know what justice should look like because we have set it up, thousands, you know, however you want to look at it, hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, we decided what we believe the process of justice looks like. And people don't commit themselves to that because it takes time and there's often times where you don't know the answer and people do not like either of those. They do not like to wait for what they want and they do not like to be stuck in a position where they don't know. So because of that, people will rush to judgment, which we know about. I mean, there's plenty of movies from the last century about exactly how often that is the case. But often on top of that, I think the part that we're, you know, uh, kind of focusing on is 
when you have a, a, a female victim and a male perpetrator and people can focus on that, then the truth of the matter is going to be lost in all of our social dynamics and less so on theirs. So we really have a hard time seeing those crimes in particular because of our views of men and our views of women. So it makes it really hard to have an accurate view of, in this case, a victim who apparently died from peritonitis and her own last words are dismissed in the court looking for her justice. And that to me is just really the indictment of this whole process is her last words, what she would be able to say in, if this doctor is accurate. And I, once again, I, I didn't, I didn't read the story. I don't know who this doctor is, but I have to trust that they were trying to live up to their code of do no harm. And this would definitely be harm to their patient. So I have to believe that they are telling the truth in this instance where I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And if that is the case, and if I was a juror, that's what I would be focusing on is this victim in this process. And now we have apparently a second victim of this process because the process becomes unruly because of the demands of the prosecutor who apparently is trying to do like a, a appeal to the public and get this victory because the people are paying attention. Whereas would they have done this if this crime was not a famous person? Would they have put this zeal and this desire to try them four times? So I think mm -hmm. it tells us a lot about us and less about the crime. Well said, Agreed. very well said. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so this just, just for that, like on, on that note, I think you've made such a great point. We should point out that the prosecutor is a guy named Matthew Brady. I didn't bring up his mm, name there. Mm, interesting. All that said, I'm uh, just pointing out, oh, I don't think the name is significant. Uh, I just want to shame him from beyond the grave. <laughs> well, uh, but that, that it's not so Matthew awesome. Brady, the, the, the I guess, the, the lawyer? Like, Yeah, I would think so. Oh, no, would that be the same I time? That'd probably been too it early. It was just Matt. Well, against William Jennings just, Bryan, right? The Matthew Brady, wasn't that the yeah, prosecutor so. in the Scopes trial against William Jennings Bryan? He's not even that good, man. He's not even that important. It's Matthew A. Brady. Ah, he's just A. Brady. Yeah, it's not. He's not B. Brady. No, a. Brady. A. Brady. Yeah, thank but you I for think that. What's interesting is when you're talking, Zarin, about people want to know, mm -hmm. and you look at the the public desire to put these celebrities under a microscope and know all these things, but we can't ever really know. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about the crimes, and, and these are the ones that we just know about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there yeah. are so many that don't. That we have no idea what's happened. But I keep thinking of Rap telling the doctor, no, it wasn't Fatty Arbuckle. But at this point, she doesn't think she's going to die. She's just in pain in the hospital. And she doesn't have a whole lot of agency in this. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's probably to her favor, no matter what happened, to say, no, 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 it wasn't him. Mm -hmm. Because if she recovers and she's named him, then she's going to have to live alive as this victim. That's a really good point. And that's, that'll destroy you. Um, but, and we don't know people's motivations for what they say. We don't know her associates motivations. Mm -hmm. We don't know, you know, all of these things, but we like to think we know because we've read it or this person has said it. Or or it, makes it was, sense. And, you know, Ben, as you were saying, well, I've read, I've read some articles about mm -hmm. this. Well, all right, step back. Now, you know, everything, but you don't, <laughs> you know, it's been fed to you. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. part of why you have to really think critically about all these things. You can take this information, but asking for critical thought of the public is a, heavy lift. I, what I love about that comparison, Elizabeth, is now I'm picturing a situation where let's say you're the doctor. You're trying to save someone's life and someone, uh, you know, like the, someone on the scene says the classic line, is there a doctor in the house? And then two, <laughs> two people stand up and one is like, I'm a cardiologist. And the other one's like, I watched all of Grey's Anatomy. So <laughs> maybe pump your brakes. I can pull up WebMD uh, on my phone right now. <laughs> is that the Hold same on, as ER? Grey's Anatomy, no. Uh, I mean, they're 
different are adjacent? Ooh. Is it is it like yeah. in the same extended universe, kind of like the ridiculous universe, or I think oh, all hospital know. shows kind of potentially occupy that same uh, shared. You know, reality. I like that. It makes it make a lot more sense that way. It does. <laughs> it explains the character actors who are continually going <laughs> to different hospitals, yeah. making the rounds. Uh, they call that making yeah. the rounds. And this, uh, I mean, I think that is so well said, Elizabeth and Zaren, and that that is the point uh, to take away from uh, from a story like this. And these are real people, and this is the same society in many ways, in which that story occurred. And the president of the United States is, was moving weight across the border. <laughs> uh, yes. Or the, the vice president, excuse vice me. Vice president, yeah. Not Future president. Hair. Future president, not to split hairs. But yeah, known drug mule, Richard Nixon. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and music legend, uh, Louis Armstrong. And then... Many, many other people are actually people and not just necessarily these stories that we encounter. And that's one of the things that I personally love about ridiculous crime. Noel, I, I massively enjoyed this. I can't wait for part two, man. This is one half of the show today. You, you barely have to wait, Ben. We're going to do it Im- immediately. Uh, uh, I'm so, going to um, maybe take a maybe take a break. I think I would like that as well. Uh, no, same. And I also can't wait to just binge all of, of uh, the episodes of Ridiculous Crime. I don't know if you have told you this, Ben, but I've recently got into listening to podcasts. It took a while. It's kind of a shoemaker's children have no shoes situation. You know, oh, the yeah, podcaster yeah, yeah. doesn't listen to podcasts. But Would you recommend uh, it? You've been liking it? I've been liking it. I, I mean, I have I found my niche. I found like I really like uh, movie and TV and pop culture conversations, mm-hmm. and I also like history. So I'm obviously gonna add you guys to the queue, especially since you're <laughs> in the family. Um, but welcome and congratulations, and uh, and thanks for hanging out with us today on the show. Oh, dude, we're yeah, we're big fans, and we're so stoked to join the ridiculous universe. It is a great pleasure and honor to us, and uh, we're looking forward to doing you guys proud. Oh. Okay, oh, thanks for proud. classing up the place. Yeah. <laughs> Stop well, having a better show. rather high. Yeah. Stop having a better show than us, you guys. Stop saying that. So I did I did tell them all that off air. So uh we are going to we are going to pause for today. We are going to return with more stories of strange celebrity bust. In the meantime, Elizabeth, yes, Zaren. Where can people find Ridiculous Crime? Where can they learn more uh, about the show or about your individual work? Well, there's uh, various social media feeds. Like we have uh, Ridiculous Crime on Twitter. MySpace. Ridiculous Crime on Friendster. (laughs) We also have a Ridiculous Crime. I have uh, a bulletin board. We have a mailing list that Mm -hmm. you can be a part of. Mm -hmm. We have door circulars. So we just go around your neighborhood hanging up circulars. Cool zine. You send out a deal on local pizza places. You send out floppy disks like America Online. (laughs) Well, I set up a table and for $10, you can buy this book of coupons. (laughs) Love that. Love that. We've got the Girl Scouts putting us on their cookies. So we're hoping that's going to really push some numbers. 
outside of the cookie outside of the Girl Scout cookie box. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like a missing person. <laughs> Have you cool. heard that? It's really crimey. You, know? <laughs> you should buy space on those little coffee cups they have in New York, you know, like the Greek ones with the oh, you know, just just that. I'm liking this. You got ideas. We're gonna have to talk offline. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yeah, you can Twitter, you know, Instagram. Instagram, yeah, the iHeart Network, Apple Podcasts, all those types of places and we're for the show. At ridiculous crime. Yeah, everything is at ridiculous crime. Yeah. You guys got ridiculous crime. Hey, yeah, I'm telling you, man. Good job. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> For our show people. stuff that I want you to know, we couldn't even get that. Someone already had it. I think we had to go with like conspiracy stuff show. Well, also uh, that's a terrible that's a terrible, uh terribly long name. It's true. It's very <laughs> we, it's very we weren't thinking about that when it was a YouTube channel. But uh but yes, uh get thee to uh the podcast platform of choice and check out ridiculous crime. You don't have to take our word for it. Episodes are out now. Highly recommended. Uh, Noel, I, I guess we can we can tell people uh, where to find us. But now it's it's. I, I mean, we didn't get the whole name across everything. It's okay. Well, well no, it's not true. We are. We're at. Uh, what are we at? We're at ridiculous history for. Oh, okay. Are, are we? I don't even know. Just follow us as individuals. Don't worry about that. Uh, you can find me on Instagram exclusively. I am at How Now Noel Brown. Ben Bolin. How about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Instagram in a burst of creativity. I'm calling myself Ben Bolin on there. At Ben Bolin. Ben Bolin? I did. I did. I did. Ben Bolin 3 is really mad. But we squashed the beef. And you can find me on Twitter at Ben Bolin HSW. Various behind the scenes misadventures. Thank you, as always, to super producer Max Williams. Thank you to super producer Dave Kustan, who is now going by Super Dave. I saw you logging into the... DMV and various things to change the name. Uh, and thank you, thank you, thank you to Ridiculous Crime. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.